You're listening to The Magnet Podcast. Welcome to The Magnet Theater Podcast. I am Lewis Kornfeld, and this afternoon I am speaking with Sean Taylor. Sean performs here at The Magnet with Junior Varsity. He also teaches the Saturday drop-in class. Sean, thanks for talking. Thanks. I'm a little nervous. I'm a long-time subscriber, first-time guest. Oh, yeah, don't let expectations corrupt the conversation. There's a lesson in there, too, to be had about dropping one's expectations. It Well, I don't want to get into that. It's been uh, um, so I wanted to, to start off by um, talking a little bit about your background and how you got involved in improv, because you've been in the scene here in New York for a number of years, and you're in a pretty interesting you had an interesting vantage point in that you have been witness to both the growth and development of the ucb community and also the growth and development of the magnet community uh um you're an early player in both of those theaters so so i'd love to talk about that but before we get to it uh, um where are you from sean i'm a military brat so we moved around quite a bit like every three years Mm -hmm. so i don't really have a hometown but i have been in new york city longer than i've been anywhere else and uh, I'm proud to call it my adoptive home if <laughs> my adopters will have me. Yeah, oh, and they will. And and what brought you to New York? It was improv comedy. Uh, I was a, a part of an improv comedy troupe in college, at Dartmouth College. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the people on the team, her name is Mindy Kaling, uh, but her, it was Mindy Chokalingham. But she uh, said, she's a, year, a couple years younger than I am. And uh, she knew I loved improv comedy, and I was only in it my senior year. And uh, so she was like, oh, well, UCB is opening up a theater mm-hmm. in, in New York. You should go there. So that was pretty much what I went on. I assumed I wouldn't like the city, though. Yeah. Because I just heard a lot of bad things about it, and I, I just, uh, you know, because the crime in the 80s and the, uh, I, you know, People that are not familiar with the city, they just uh, they they don't always have uh, positive things to say about it, and so I thought that I would be one of those people. Um, But I was uh, very thrilled that I I wasn't. I came here, and I've still been here for like fifteen years now. Yeah. So it it, just to backtrack a little bit, um, were you familiar with UCB by that point when Mindy Kaling told you that they were opening their theater? I was not. Okay. So you just went on the strength of her word that there is a scene starting to happen in the city to go connect with. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I didn't exactly know what I wanted to do when I graduated and yeah. I still had a, uh, a, a girlfriend on campus. So like I, part of me was like, well, maybe I just stick around here. But, uh, it's weird when you stick around campus after you graduate cause everyone in your class is gone. So when it starts being fall again and everyone shows back up, you're like, Oh man, I shouldn't be here. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I outstayed my welcome. <laughs> yeah. So, so what was the scene like when you got here? And and I, you went directly to UCB. This I is did. this is before they opened the current Chelsea location. This is back when they had just opened the Twenty Second Street Theater. Right. Okay. Right. It was on. Yeah. And uh, and it was. It's always been long form. Whereas in college, we at the time the Dog Day Players. That's mm-hmm. what we were, our name was. We did short form comedy or improv comedy, mm-hmm. and there was only one team on campus, and it was my only, uh, like, that was the only improv comedy I've ever seen. I hadn't seen uh, Whose Line Is It Anyway. Um, oh, so, really? Right. But I did love the team before I was a part of it, yeah. like on campus. Like, they were, 
that they, for some reason at Dartmouth, like acapella students were like celebrities. Hmm. Um, and there were like 10 acapella, uh, groups and they were, you know, very highly regarded and like really well attended shows. And, uh, so I, uh, I mean, I liked acapella too, but I couldn't sing. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but then there was these other, there were other things like the humor society and wrote, you know, the Jack-O-Lantern was the name of the, the humor magazine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I sort of got involved in that. And then like the radio, um, we had a radio show and, uh, from there they were like, well, you know, you should audition for the dog day players. And I did and failed mm-hmm. three or four times. Mm-hmm. But finally my senior year, I got put on the team. And, uh, and so I was like one of the older people on the team. So when my year was done, whereas people that maybe had been doing it for four years would be like, okay, well, I did improv comedy. Now I'm ready to move on with the real world. I hadn't gotten to that. Yeah. <laughs> I was still pretty thirsty, um, for, for more. So when I came to, to New York and the UCB, uh, it was long form improv. So it definitely took some adjusting, but like it, I of course went to ASCAD a, a few well, I went just about every single weekend yeah. in the year 2000 and the year 2001 and very frequently got the postcard that said you were the first one here uh-huh. and just loved it. Like me and my, my roommate at the time, uh, where we would just, that was our Sunday night and just fell in love with long form improv. And the more that I watched it, the the more I, I realized that like, man, this is even better than short form. Yeah. Um, which is what I f- came to find out the, the improv we were doing was called. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, uh, then once you start watching it a while, like, uh, occasionally the, the, like the, the headliners wouldn't be able to make it like the UCB four would be out of town. And so they'd have like the swarm, um, which was a pretty, uh, awesome group. If you yeah. ever got a chance to see them, they were amazing. Yeah. And, uh, they would sit in and at first I was like, you know, hold my, you know, I was like, Oh, rumpf. I wanted to see the UCB before, but then like the more you watch, you realize like, well, well, these guys like perform together all the time. They build, you know, they build something and it really pays off in the end. And it, it's amazing. You start, then I started watching more shows like going to Herald night over at UCB and, yeah. uh, uh, pretty much there's my, uh, weeks, uh, you know, every night just going and watching improv. And then of course it leads to taking it and then taking classes and wanting to do, do it as well. And there was an improv jam at the time by Billy Merritt, mm. uh, which was really fun. Um, just anyone could get up on stage, just start, you know, you tag out someone and, and sometimes, you know, people like Horatio Sands would drop in. And so you, you could tag in and one of my highlights of my life is having him, uh, uh, improv cattle prod me and I improv cattle prodded him back. <laughs> he reacted much better as only Horatio Sands could. The, the, it was anybody could, you could just hop on up from the seats anytime you wanted to, to perform, to jump yeah. into a scene. Yeah. That's exciting. And it was a real underground thing. Like no one knew what UCP was. Like yeah. when you said you did improv or, you know, you're taking classes, no one knew what you're talking about. The only people that thought they knew were just people with acting trainings that yeah. said, Oh, I improv. Right. You know, and it just, it was really underground. And, uh, 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 it was, it's amazing to see how much has changed and how much has evolved in, in a relatively short time. Yeah. You know, I remember my first experience. I had been a fan of the TV show. 
in high school. First show I saw live at UCB was at the old theater. It was right before they made the jump to the uh, to the 26th Street space. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, Naked Babies doing a Harold. Oh. It was just the three, three Seth Morris, Seth Morris. and uh, Rob Corddry and Brian Husky did a Harold. And I didn't know what a Harold was and I didn't know what long form was. And I remember uh, having sort of a similar feeling of like sitting there with crossed arms. Um, I had seen a play the night before and I remember my first thought was uh, that you have a kind of sense of confidence when you go to see a play because you know that there's a point to it. And I remember feeling that lack of confidence when they took the stage that like, I don't know what the hell this is. <laughs> and then it was just such a hilarious performance. And I remember like my big takeaway from it was not getting it and then getting it and then not getting it and then getting it. Like it sort of went so fast and went so many different places that like, I really didn't understand what I was seeing. And then certain connections and callbacks began to happen. They're like, Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) And that was like the first hook for me of the live performance that feeling of, I'm not exactly sure what I'm getting, but I'm getting something. It seems to be working on, 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 it's like, for me, kind of a partly conscious, partly unconscious experience. It was super exciting and not at all what I expected. Um, what were the classes like early on when you first started? Well, uh, their curriculum wasn't set in stone as I understand it is now. Um, so you were, you were trained by the, the four original UCB. There were those, they did still teach classes and I did, I was lucky enough to get, uh, I'd never had a class with Matt Walsh, but I did have one with Besser, uh, Polar and uh, Roberts. Mm. I don't know if I ever call him by the last name until now, but it feels a little weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, that you, I, I do, uh, like you would have, uh, Kevin Mullaney, I think was running the the school at the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Billy Merritt was, was doing classes in, in Delaney. Yeah. So uh, those were like the, the primary, Oh, and, uh, Pat McCartney was my, my level one and level two teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as just, uh, and uh, like, I feel like they had been all trained quite a bit. So they knew sort of like, uh, I, I don't know. I haven't been to the back to the UCB with the, the codified curriculum, mm-hmm. but, uh, they knew like, Oh, you're level one, you're level two, level three, you know, they could sort of like figure, well, you're new to improv. You've had a little experience. You're ready for a little bit more mm-hmm. of this, you know? Uh, but it's it pretty cool. Out of curiosity, what, uh, what episode, uh, or, or did you see all of the UCB show? Yeah. Did you see Thunderball? Uh, you'd have to remind me. That was the one where it was uh, Drew or something. Young Blood uh, was a. Uh, it was uh, the very last episode, season three, last episode ever, the uh-huh. finale. Um, but they, they, there was like we were all just hanging out at the theater, and they said, "Oh, we have like we need a whole bunch of people to come out to Ward's Island or yeah. something like that." To so I was an extra on that uh, in in uh, in Thunderball, the very last episode, like two or three months after moving to New York. Yeah. So I was thinking, wow, this is my ticket to the top, <laughs> you know, <laughs> then, you know, very soon after, uh, uh, that was the last episode they ever did of that yeah. TV show. And I was like, Oh man. And then I wasn't on TV for <laughs> years after. <laughs> was there like a palpable, um, uh, change or feeling at the theater when the show itself was canceled? there was definitely some, some wind being knocked out of the sails, you yeah. know, the, and like it did feel that way a little bit, but you know, UCB, and this is just my uh, observation of it, but I think that it was like such a, uh, 
an amazing thing at the time because I know that uh, New York is New York has always been funny. I mean, there's great funny people that are uh, like a lot of communities of people that were funny, whether they be sketch, uh, you know, uh, stand up or monologues, you know, storytelling, whatever it is, like they were all out there in New York. They all have, you know, for forever. But UCB, when it opened up and had this theater and it was an underground style like theater, it was like a lightning rod and like everyone came to it. Yeah. So it's like the people you would meet were just like, you know, people that have maybe been doing stand up for 10 years before. And now they're like, oh, what's this thing? I like it, you yeah. know, and then they're really funny at it, you know. Uh, it'd also be like the improvisers that had already knew about like it from Chicago that would come and they were just like amazing already. And you're yeah. just like, who the heck is this guy? Yeah. Like, incredible. Uh, but also there was probably a budding uh, improv scene that, that they were able to like uh, really uh, uh, enthuse and uh, give stage time to, which I feel like is a, it's fascinating. It was fun to be a, a part of. Yeah, right. well, it's interesting because I mean, there's been improv in the city since the '60s, uh-huh. and uh, um, Chicago City Limits has been here for yep 25 years, and and Gotham City Improv, and you know, there have always been places to go. I came a little bit later into it, like when I started, UCB was already well established, but even I started in 2003, and even when I first showed up. there was like a palpable feeling to it of these guys brought an edge that I, I, my suspicion is that, you know, improv, even the word improv has like connotations to it that you think of like those old, like improv books that are all like this sort of like unicolor, like day glow neon color. And it's like people looking really wacky. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's something about it that, that um, uh, I think can be hard for people who aren't already in the grips of it to feel kind of excited about or passionate about. You know, it feels a little bit like a sort of after work kind of hokey thing. And UCB definitely brought that feeling of like sharpness and brilliance and edge and underground. And it, 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 you think about like what, what that lightning rod was that it just brought like all of the latent, it gave a, a, a single common point for all of the comedy talent in New York to sort of rail behind. So you have like not only what the UCB themselves brought from Chicago and this completely different approach to improvising, but just this like nuclear explosion of suddenly all the comedy talent in New York is, is interrelated. They're all together. It's not just isolated sketch groups or isolated stand-ups or, you know, whatever the case might be. So what was it like for you coming from Dartmouth, having had only a year of experience doing short form, to then entering into that stream? Like, what what were your early impressions as you were learning long form? Well, it was an uphill, that's yeah. for sure. Because yeah. uh, I was, I mean, it's a pretty small campus, and I was on the only improv team, so I was used to sort of being the funny one and everyone loved everything I said, or at least in my mind they did, uh, you know, college campus, there's other, uh, influences. So uh, (laughs) maybe the free pizza or the free, uh, or the, uh, alcohol, uh, helped. But like, then when I moved to, uh, New York, it was like, wow, this is big leagues because everyone is funny, Mm -hmm. confident, and really good at this thing Mm -hmm. that I've never even seen before. That's called the same thing that I thought I was pretty good at. Yeah. 
So it was it was scary for sure. Like when mentioning the the, the improv jam, like where anyone could get up on stage, you kind of needed to be a little bit more experienced or aggressive to even have yeah the audacity to hop up on stage sure. or potentially with Rob Riggle, uh, Horatio Sands, or uh, yeah Ari Vukitis, Chad Carter, Seth Morris, all these people, Billy. Billy Merritt, like yeah. they're, they're all there. Yeah. Um, and they were just like so riotously funny. Yeah. It, I, I, when I first started going, you just got the most amazing education by just watching shows. And I was like you for the first year or so, I was just there at every ass cat I could get to. I saw every Harold night for a year. Uh, um, you were actually playing when I first started going to the theater. You were in Filth, I think. Yeah. 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 Um, and I remember just being like completely blown away and then sticking around for the cage matches. And, <laughs> and it was like a real scene, but like so much of the education in, in that early period just involved kind of finding your friends in classes and, and seeing everything. And you were completely blown away by it. Like I remember seeing Respect to Montalban for the first time and just having no idea how they were pulling it off. It seemed like magic. They did it an event day where they were completely backwards. They just started. Do you remember that, that show? Well, if it's the, the cage match event day where they would start with one scene yeah. and they would do their set and yeah. then all of a sudden... Go right back to that scene. Do the exact same, would, pretty much word for word. It was amazing. Yeah, it was a, like a genuinely amazing experience. Perfectly built for for cage match too. They, yeah. that's why they like dominated. They went through the entire every single uh, team at the theater. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. Were one of the best. It, it it just like that. The exposure to that uh, uh, had such like a galvanizing effect on so many people too. It's not just the classes that you're taking, but it is. It, it's it's the sort of like early stages of finding yourself part of a community, you find your group of people that you're kind of traveling with and that share your, your sensibilities. And then you're just being exposed to the very best comedy around out there. And, and to like a level of play that is just like a world of difference from anything you've ever seen in the entire rest of your life. So it's like it, it, to me, it's always really interesting. Just that sort of like chain reaction that took place a couple of years after UCB hit the city where, where, now it's like unimaginable to think of New York without it being one of the major thriving comedy hubs in the whole country. It yeah. Was, it was a little different when you showed up, right? Yeah. It really, it, it, it brought like all the best things in, in addition to comedy. Sometimes with comedy comes bitterness, sarcasm, uh, like negativity at someone's expense. But like when this, this force came in that was like positivity, respect, empathy, you know, the things that making everyone look good on stage, you know, yeah. making someone else look good, like embracing what someone gives you. It, it really was, uh, I was excited that it caught on because for me, I was, I was hooked yeah. right away. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit. You had said, uh, um, that one of the things you really love about New York City is the ability to hook up with different communities of people. That there's a, if there's an interest in something, there's a community of people that are involved in it. And so you, you, you can be exposed to a lot of different people. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, where for you do you think that comes from that? Because you're a very community oriented guy. You, you, uh, created Funny Ball, which is the, the comedian softball league here in New York. Um, 
you blog for Pizza Month and have uh, uh, many guests sit in with you for the entire month of October to share pizza and share experience with you and, and partake. You're a really communal, community-oriented guy. Um, do you think that that goes back to traveling a lot when you were a kid? Do you think that that kind of finding your tribe sort of relates to knowing that you're going to kind of pick up and move on, you know, in a, in a period of time? Probably. I mean, that it probably does because uh, I hadn't thought of it uh, that way. But I, I, one thing is when you are in a military family, mm-hmm. um, when you move around, you tend to meet other military families and they're the same sort of thing where it's like, especially when you're overseas, like I lived in Izmir, Turkey for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And when you're overseas, the all of the Americans or Westerners just stick together, mm-hmm. not in a bad way, but like they just start to this community forms because there's just not as many, but they all have this thing in common, which is, you know, they're part of uh, a culture that's different than this other mm-hmm. one. So, you know, in Turkey we had like little league games and, and a lot of them. And, and it really did, br- it was always impressive to see how many things they would have like uh, at the park, you know, by Rockley Park was the name of it, but <laughs> sound like broccoli. Hmm. But they would have like uh, fireworks and picnics and um, soccer matches and you know, concerts, and they always had things because I think it was a uh, the community was there. Yeah. So I do. I always love that that aspect of it, and I love the fact that like in New York when I came here, even though I wasn't one hundred percent sure uh, that this was going to be a good fit for me that New York would be a good fit. Like I knew I liked this improv thing. So I kept going at it and I look to my left and to my right. And there's a whole lot of other people that are also interested in the same weird thing, mm-hmm. which is creating something out of nothing. You know, it's, it's, I love it for the challenge. I also, I, I love it for the art. Uh, and, and when you, when you've created something that's uh, with a- acting as, as someone you don't look like, you know, on a stay empty stage uh, with no scripts, and yet people are laughing. It's like you've all got something in common that, yeah. that wasn't there and just came out of the ether. It's it's incredible, and yet there's a community of people that is clearly growing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's there, there's that aspect of it where there's the 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 community itself of interested improvisers and students and coaches and directors and and everybody who is part of the scene. But then there's also playing with other people in a long form setting where you're kind of creating a temporary community of people just with the basic understanding of yes and and going with each other's ideas. You're laying down this sort of temporary architecture for 30 minutes that makes a community out of a team, you know? I love that. Yeah. It, it in, I mean, I think it's one of the things that it's one reason why so many people find themselves hooked hooked when they begin improvising is because you start to become a little bit addicted to this ability to uh, um, spontaneously sort of be a tribe together on stage for sure, you know, and then in most cases or more often than not, it spills over outside of your stage life too. And you actually bond and become friends with people. Yeah. And you're exactly right. And to, to address what you were saying about the other uh, communities that exist in New York, like for instance, uh, I, was uh, I f- our community of improvisers at UCB? There was a time when uh, UCB was the only game in town, mm-hmm. and it, pretty much every New York improviser was on the IRC, the Improv Resource Center, mm-hmm. which predates Facebook because we didn't have Facebook to waste our time, so we wasted our time um, or utilized our time on uh, this message board. And 
people would post things that were like bits. And uh, some guy, Terry Jen, uh, he would take a picture of his beverage every day. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found out that uh, October was National Pizza Month, which is, you know, it's it's a, a marketing thing for the, a magazine called Pizza Today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> which sell, if you're looking for a high... Uh, you know, uh, heavy duty uh, dough mixers and pizza today is the is the place to go. Um, but it's a they happen to be founded in October, and so they're like, oh, we're going to celebrate our anniversary by making it October's National Pizza Month. But that was all I needed to be like, all right, well, I'm going to eat pizza every day of it. But it was I said this on the IRC as a bit, yeah, as yeah. a bit, and and people were like, oh, well, that sounds great, and I was like, all right, well. How about I got to eat a slice of pizza a day at a different location with at least one guest, so that way I could make it a little bit more community oriented, yeah. and then you know mention it on this uh, IRC, this uh, message board. Yeah, and so like it started as a bit, but it was like this community of yes anders, you know, or just like yes, let's do this, and so we end up uh, eating pizza every day of the month, and you meet a lot of new people that you find out about a lot of awesome, great pizza places. Which if you ha- haven't had really good New York pizza then you really need to because it's better here than it is anywhere. Yeah. And I've been to Italy and I've been to New Haven. Um, so <laughs> you know, I feel like those are the, those are the other ones that people... Those are the two like, big ones. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it's good there too, trust yeah. me. In New Haven, sure, yeah. yeah. Even when pizza's bad, it's still pretty good. But I feel like uh, some people will get a slice at the closest place, like the dollar slice, and yeah. assume that that's New York pizza. Yeah. And it might be New York style, but it's, you know, go to the places that uh, they're on my blog, 31daysofpizza.com. <laughs> Please check it out. As, as a small bit of advice to uh, somebody who maybe is mid-flight right now and is about to get off a JFK airport and come to New York for a day, and then go home, what would be one pizza place that, that they just absolutely have to go check out? Lombardi's. If you're only going to go to one just because it's the oldest. Okay. Where's, the, where's Lombardi? Spring and Mod. It's right okay. near oh, oh, Little Italy. Yeah, sure. Down there. Sure. Okay. Lombardi's. Yeah. And that one's in Manhattan. So it's somewhat centrally located. You can get to it. If you're going to be, you know, look for a deeper cut or you're really into pizza, yeah. then, you know, you want to go to Defara out in, um, Brooklyn. If you just want to get a quick slice that is near a transportation hub, then Suprema, New York Pizza Suprema. You can't argue with Pizza Suprema. Yeah, 31st and 8th. Yeah, great place. (laughs) Tell them Sean Taylor sent you. But one of the cool things about that is that, like, I was really into pizza, right? So I started blogging about pizza and doing it every year. And I found out that there's a whole bunch, there's a community of people in New York that are just really into pizza so much that they blog about it. So it's like, you know, improv comedy has their group of people yeah. and you know, the, the, the pizza people also have their own community. Yeah. And so it's, it's neat when you see the crossover because there's so much in common with all these different weird communities that I really feel like the improv one, which by the way, I think is the highest concentration of interesting people I've ever met. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it's just fascinating to, to, to meet all the people that that's what I love about doing improv is that afterward you go to a bar, or, you know, you hang out at funny ball, um, which is funnyball.org If you want to do it, it's, it's free, uh, it's free softball in central park, which is really fun in itself. But the reason why it's successful is because people that didn't used to play softball are improvisers. And they're like, well, let's give it a shot. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like improv really teaches you to like, uh, keep an open mind yeah. and try something like people like Quentin Loader has become a really good uh, a ball player and he never played as a kid. Yeah. And it was only because of funny ball, you know, it was just like, this is something you, know, you keep an open mind and you um, respect uh, the people around you. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
make them look good. It's, it's fun. Yeah. Uh, it, it seems to bleed into real life more than, uh, more times than it doesn't. Well, you get into the, into the habit of, of kind of saying okay to, to all kinds of ideas and suggestions. And you also get into the habit of, you know, how, how valuable it is to explore an unusual suggestion or an unusual choice. And, and, and there's certainly strength in numbers. So I, I think that as a community of people, um, it kind of makes sense that like improvisers would try lots of bizarre things together and, and, and just have all kinds of like enriching experiences together as a group. Yeah. And I've, one sorry. of the things you mentioned in a previous podcast that I loved is, is the fact that like, was it a, like when people are younger and they ask kids like uh, who's a, a painter, all the hands go up. And yeah. then when you ask them when you're like 13, who's a painter and like only the weird kid holds his hand up. Yeah. And you know, cause for some reason, even though everyone has the capacity to paint, they, they don't. Yeah. But I feel like improv lets you know that it's like, Hey, you're not going to do it perfect, Yeah. but you're going to do it Yeah. and it might be fun. So just because, you know, if you enjoy something, that's good enough. That's yeah. enough to do it. And I feel like that is the coolest thing about uh, the mindset of, of an improviser. This, so you teach the uh, drop-in at the Magnum. Yes. Weekly drop-in class. How, what's your approach to that class? Because yeah, I'm curious about the philosophy that you bring. Uh, um, having, having been doing it for as long as you have and having made that transition from college short form through UCB, through Magnet, and really seen uh, improv find its legs and, and sort of be legitimized in a way. Uh, um, what do you sort of distill from that experience to offer to people who are doing your class? Well, uh, on Saturdays, uh, we do tend to appeal to a slightly different group of people. Um, just because it is Saturday. So you get like some more professionals and, um, the average age is probably a little bit older in the, mm. in the drop in. But like the, what I really love is when people come that are in between classes, like mm. say they're taking level two and then their level three hasn't yet started. So they come in to get reps in. And, uh, what I think the drop in does really like it's evolved to this. Like I, I definitely have tried quite a few different workshops each week and, uh, they tend to be two person, uh, scene mm-hmm. workshops, mm-hmm. Because I, that's the foundation of all long-form improv uh, structures, in my opinion. Um, but I also feel like uh, it, it, it acts as a supplemental. So in other words, you can't just do the drop-in and expect to be an awesome improviser. Mm-hmm. I really like it. My, uh, my favorite people that, that, that come uh, that I feel like get the most benefit from it are the people that are taking classes that come for just a slightly different uh, maybe it doesn't follow the exact same way because there's no replacing an actual curriculum, you know, like especially here, our level one is, is built that way because it's supposed to be that way. Mm-hmm. Level two, you know, you, you take over right from where level two is to level three, you know, the drop in, if, if I had to say what it does, it, it provides sort of like a, a slightly different route to get to the same direction. So that maybe you can use it in addition to what you've already been learning. Uh-huh. Um, but it definitely, I, I like to focus on uh, presentness okay. in scenes. Okay. And that is like just trying to get people out of their head because in general, if they're coming to the drop in, they're thinking a little, they're, they're thinking a little too much on their scenes or they think that there's like a, a right way of doing something. And so I try to, in these weekly uh, workshops, let people know that they're what you bring to improv 
is something that only you can bring and you're doing it right. There isn't a one, one thing that's right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I tried, that's what I, I tried to uh, approach. Um, and you'll be doing a class coming up called here now, uh, colon, an exploration of the two person scene. An exploration of the two person scene. And is it the spirit behind here now is that emphasis on presence? Yes, presentness for sure, because uh, it uh, it's something that uh, has come out of doing the drop in workshops. And, mm-hmm. it, and like, I definitely have tried a lot of different workshops on the drop in. Some of them are group game oriented, some of them are uh, um, more form or second beat type stuff. But I've, I realized that with the drop in, it's not the same group of people each week. Right. This one, uh, um, the, the Magnet's given me a unique opportunity to do a four week class. So if you sign up, you can be amongst your classmates for four straight weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, And we can really uh, get, you know, try out some of these, uh, these workshops that have been a little more successful and and evolve to this uh, and explore the two person scene, perhaps in a different way than you've seen it explored before. Yeah. Hopefully get you out of your head. If that's the, that's the term that people tend to use a lot. I, it, it's interesting because I teach, um, a lot of form work in classes and you know, the core of any long form curriculum is going to be in developing the forms themselves, um, which is great. It, you know, it, it's fantastic and it's a really valuable thing to learn, but definitely like you get this when you're working with practice groups or where people are kind of coming in and out. There isn't necessarily like a stable 10 people who are showing up every single week that you do have to shift your focus away from how do we build these, these pieces together and sort of reorient it more towards, uh, um, I don't know how to say this exactly. Aiming for this sort of direct experience that you have by playing a scene itself or by playing the game itself and, and really getting to kind of dig under the surface and explore the gifts that a game or a scene has to offer you as a performer and you as a person too. I, you know, cause I do think that one of the things that's really nice about improvising is you in those, those moments of presence and those moments where you are spontaneously responding, you can surprise yourself and things come out that, that were on the sort of tip of your mind, but weren't fully conscious thoughts yet. And, and you kind of develop this relationship with yourself in a way you learn things about yourself. You learn things about your behavior, which are things that you you can't really in an eight week class, you don't have the time or the focus to really make that the centerpiece of a class. The centerpiece has to be, we have to be able to do Harold's in six weeks. So we're really going to focus on structure or the kind of technicalities of, of playing a game. But when you have that ability to sort of focus more on the people themselves and less on the kind of end result, it, to me, has a very different sensibility. It sort of goes back to kind of early Spolin kind of work where, where improvisation and scene work is, is uh, uh, the chance for an epiphany of some sort, if that makes sense. Which is sort of my reading of Spolin is is that what you're after is an epiphany, it, it, this kind of revelation of something that's sort of under the surface, but but hides itself, you know. Um, so I yeah, I don't know where I'm going with the thought. I'm just well, sort of I mean, I, that is what I, I like. I'm going for. It's like I love the discoveries that yeah. come from it, uh, and you know, with 
doing improv for, for the 15 years that I've, I've been doing it. Like there definitely have been moments where I've like plateaued and then like something, you know, uh, like, Oh, you know, these, these aha moments. And, and then, the, you know, I feel like I've gotten better. And then, you know, sometimes I definitely fall down and mm-hmm. then come back up. But, uh, the, I think that it was Rosalski in a uh, camp magnet in, uh, in 2012 where I was like, had one of those sort of, I, to echo the things that you just said from Spolin, uh, is that like when you can be present, you can be in the moment, then what you say is correct. And you can surprise yourself, surprise your scene partner and accidentally find art. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you get to that truth, which we keep on, you know, mentioning all the time with the truth and comedy. It's like, that's there if you are ready for it. Sometimes I find when I really think about it, that depending on the show, I, I'm having to sort of reorient my strategy to what we're doing because there are definitely kinds of performance where you're not wholly present, where it you're working together to create this particular show. And we're all sort of thinking about the correct way to pay off this show. You know, like we're moving this thing down river to the best of our abilities, which sort of yep. contradicts this idea of, of presence and this idea that anything that you say or do is absolutely the correct thing to say or do. The fact of the matter is, if you're doing a Harold, exactly, you're not in that position. There are correct things to say and do, and there are incorrect things to say and do. There are things that forward the action and play the game, and there are things that contradict the action and, you know, are sort of inappropriate. Exactly. I think that you're exactly right. Like there's the foundation of it though, the Herald is those two person scenes in the yeah. beginning. So I would say that like, especially a Herald without an opening, like those first beats, that's where you really get to discover, yeah. you know, like you're here in the moment, like what is going, what is, why are we watching this? Yeah. And we get to discover stuff and then you might stumble on art you know you might stumble on truth you might find it and be like oh i've been that exact you know the audience is thinking the same thing the people on the sidelines or the back wall are like yes that is it now and you're right now when with a particular form of the herald like you're right second beat you know you want to probably put throw gas on what you think is funny in that Mm -hmm. that first beat which you're right then you would be uh shifting a a little bit it wouldn't necessarily be like i'm ready to discover anything on this because i'm i'm playing a particular form yeah but but like you said like because i'm uh uh this is an exploration of the two-person scene and and one of the things that i think we 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 do and i always encourage people on the drop-in to go to those mixers like we have on wednesday and thursday especially because those are two-person scenes and you're inspired by music and they have so they have infinite potential and they're amazing and when they 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 go they run the whole gamut i guess (laughs) you know they can be amazing oh they're they're actually surprisingly enough amazing more often than they're not amazing exactly i mean i go to watch sometimes and you know and then of course i love doing it as yeah. well uh if you haven't been go it's free <laughs> yeah and uh and the, but uh, because of that like that's one of those things that in the drop and i can even like we've done workshops where we've said we're going to work on mixer scenes and mm-hmm. i'll use my ipod and play some songs and have people you know do the scene because it is there isn't going to be a second beat yeah there isn't going to be tag outs, you know what I mean? Yeah. And there aren't going to be the callbacks and the, uh, you know, the patterns so much unless they discover them in that early, you know, yeah. early few lines. Yeah. It, 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 
there is something, and it, it doesn't really, it's not like addressed too often, but it's part of everybody's education because, you know, if you look at like level one, the first real takeaway, like the thing that keeps you hooked from level one is that feeling of pure discovery that comes out of scene work and comes out of connecting with somebody else and comes out of, out of giving and taking and, and suddenly looking back and, and saying that was amazing. Um, and so that keeps you hooked and that keeps you involved to want to continue to study. But most of your studies now become about how to play in the guise of structure and and I think a thing that's not addressed all the time is that playing in the guise of structure, you know, there comes a point where it's no longer really about self-discovery. It's about recognizing what you've created and being able to play that to the best of your abilities in the company of other people who are doing the same thing. And I think that a lot of slumps will kind of begin with someone having an unhappy experience with that sort of feeling like they didn't accomplish what they, that they didn't achieve that sort of original magic that they were feeling. And then wanting to analyze and pick apart and begin to kind of work out the problems. And then you begin defining that experience as being rooted in problems inside of yourself. And then you start taking more classes and reading every book you can find and seeking out the advice of every performer that you like. And before you know it, you're so overwhelmed in information that it's impossible to achieve that presence and achieve that spontaneity. I think that with, with time and confidence and relaxation, you are able to sort of, it's interesting when you're doing long form, you're, you're, creating a structure and improvising around that structure at exactly the same time. Yeah. Because part of it is discovery. And through that discovery, you're kind of finding the contours, finding the skeleton of, of this bigger piece that now needs to be paid off. And so you're limiting yourself to this particular piece. You're doing what this show needs, but the more experienced an improviser, the more relaxed they are, uh, um, the more ability you have to kind of, follow the road that has been laid out for you and still make more surprising discoveries along the way. Yeah. I don't know where I'm going with that idea. Well, either. I mean, it, it's, it's similar. I, I think it might've been Jim Carrey, like some, uh, graduation speech he gave, but, uh, I, the thing that I, that stuck with me, I'm first of all, I am a huge Jim Carrey fan. Um, and if you're still with us, uh, cause I love him, but, uh, oh, Jim Carrey's great. Yeah. I, there's no, who it, I defy someone to challenge that statement. <laughs> well, I think Dumb and Dumber is one of the greatest movies of all time. I've seen so many times. Pretty funny. The original one. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, one of the things he said in the graduation speech was just that like, you can, you, when you make decisions, you, you make them either out of fear or out of love. And I feel like improv, like when it's done right, it's done out of love. Like right. it's like, I cannot wait to explore what we're going to find with this group of people that I'm, I'm going to do this with. And I love what we're going to do. Yeah. You know, if you start to think, uh, like, uh, like in your example of like, when you've started to hear like, Oh, all these teachers going through your head, like, Oh, I should be doing this. And this has to heighten and we need to bring back this. And there's gotta be a callback. And you know, this isn't funny. Why aren't they laughing? Then you're doing it out of fear. You're in the panic zone and you're, you're not making the decisions that are, they're going to suit the piece. Instead, you're making potentially other decisions. Yeah. So, so when, when you're working with people who are experiencing that, because I imagine in the drop-in class, for sure, you get a lot of people who are, are between two classes that yep. day. Yeah. Uh, um, and you see someone in the grips of fear-based choice-making. How do you guide them back to a place of love-based choice-making? Well, 
I do the best we have in the two hours with the, you know, knowing there's sure, other people, but sure. uh, uh, like uh, I do get to see people, you know, routinely. Sometimes they'll come back, and so I can kind of see a pattern, and then I can, you know. I am a computer programmer. So one of the nice things is to debug it, you know, as you start to try to find out what is the thing that causes that, that causes them to think that there's a, you know, that there's a right way and they're doing it the wrong way. Mm -hmm. And a a lot of times uh, it's that they, uh, uh, well, oftentimes that it's because they think there's a right thing to say Mm -hmm. or they want to be funny right now. Like they've been working the whole week and this is their one moment where they're going to be funny Mm -hmm. and they want it to be funny. So they'll make a choice that isn't honest or real. That's interesting. And so they'll, you know, they'll think that, well, I want it to be funny now. I mean, I'm, this is my scene. And it's like, it will be trust it. You know, you go with that honest thing. The funny will find its way in there, yeah. and then you can heighten it. You know, I think that's something I overlook sometimes because I, I I'm all about patience myself, and I, I, you know, I try to hold off on any old joke that comes to mind in favor of like getting the one really good one in there. So, like, I believe that patience is like a fundamental. It, it, it's something that you want to become used to taking your time. Well, I, I'm a huge fan of you. I mean, I, I've had an improv crush on you for years, but like, oh, uh, go on. if you <laughs> uh, if you haven't seen Lewis and the Boss, like, watch him. It is I'm slow, just but it's, it's nonstop awesome. It's it really is fun, <laughs> and and you also practice what you preach, which is is something that uh, that I found was you know teaching in the last few years that. Like I realize that like sometimes my students will come to the shows, yeah. and it holds me up to teach you know to practice what i preach yeah that's actually one of the things i really like about teaching is is i've spotted myself sometimes saying something and then mid-thought realizing but that's not what i do (laughs) so i shouldn't be saying it it's that's not authentic to my experience and like i feel that teaching helps to keep me honest as a performer and performing helps to keep me honest as a teacher and and if there's a disharmony and there is like sometimes there's a disconnect there where i try to give the note that i think is right but it's not really the note that's true to my experience Mm. it's nice to periodically debug yourself when you realize that because you lie to yourself or you at least keep certain truths from yourself sometimes and don't realize that like oh i'm saying something to somebody but like Maybe I don't really believe that, actually. Maybe I'm parroting something. But anyway, it, it, to go back, that's the thing I think I lose sight of sometimes when I'm teaching classes, that for some people, this is their only chance this week to be funny and to cut loose. And so you hear this thought of, like, take your time and be patient, and it's, you know, fuck that. <laughs> I, you know what I mean? Like, I have three hours a week before I have to go home to my, my kids and my job where I work 18-hour days or whatever it is. I don't, you know. Um, that's a good thing to keep in mind. I forget that. Well, also when I, when I when you were talking about my my previous experience when like taking classes, uh, some of the teachers I had at UCB, like I loved them. I was a huge fan. We would do one scene the whole three hours. Oh yeah. And so like when you talk about like putting you know being important, like uh, you know like I got to be funny now. This yeah. is my one time this week, and I'm doing one scene. That's one of the things that I try to do is I try to get people up as often as possible. Yeah. Keep the notes to like a, you know, a minimum so that we can get more people out there and you get a whole bunch of opportunities. And yeah. I hope that with this four week class that, uh, that, that people know that they're going to get a lot of opportunities there. I, I, it's actually one of my favorite things. Cause I had that experience too early on where you would do a three hour class and maybe if you were lucky, you got to do two scenes and usually, one of those scenes you would be tagged out in like a second. 
you would just be, you know what I mean? Like, and so it was like it, it I, I remember that feeling of dread when I was going to play because it's like, I have to bring a hundred percent of this to the scene and I'm going to be given seconds before somebody thinks that like I suck and they're going to get me out of it. It was, you know, like, and so it's, it's really hard to be open to your instincts and really hard to take risks when, if I fuck this up, that's it for this week. Yeah. I remember like the big first time I, I, I met Armando and, and had him as a teacher. Like the big takeaway was like, he barely talked. Yeah. He didn't talk that much. It like, and we did a lot of scenes at the top. I mean, everybody did like three or four scenes at the top with no comment from him. And I remember at first that feeling really weird, but it just sort of like gets the rust out and, and, there are these things that you think of as being problems that end up sort of correcting themselves if you just sort of do it. And I, I, that's actually been like one of my favorite notes. It took me years for this to be something that I really enjoyed because it sounds so snarky, but it's not snarky. It's just like, well, you know, do it. Yeah. How do I, but how do I do this? I don't know. Just do it. And like at first you sort of feel like, Oh, you're trying to kind of keep information from me, but it turns out that's not really the case. It really is of like, you do it and you're going to fuck it up and that's whatever. It's fine. It's a little bit like a drawing class where like before you spend your 45 minutes on this one model, you got to do some quick sketches early on and, and they're going to be poorly proportioned, but you just, it's about getting that flow and that, that connection between your eyes, your mind and your hand. So that now when you are taking more time to like really study this model in front of you, Uh uh, that connection is there. I'm glad you did mention uh, Armando as, yeah. as a teacher because he is uh, he was my level three teacher at UCB, mm-hmm. and then uh, I followed him to the pit, yeah. and then I followed him to his own, you know, when he was doing his own uh, uh, classes, and then I followed him to the magnet. Yeah. So like uh, he gets the best work out of everyone, and yeah. so like I, I love the fact that he does a t- coaching class, and I recommend it highly to anyone. I mean, because of that coaching class, I coach, yeah. and I love coaching. I love teaching. He's also always up for giving, you know, he'll give you just like Lewis, you do it as well. I ask you guys coaching questions because sometimes I encounter stuff and, and I love the fact that you guys are so open about it. It's like, uh, as a computer programmer, it's called open source code, you know, and then you guys treat it that way. It's not like, okay, I know how to coach and I'm never telling anyone. Instead, it's just consistent with the improviser in you that like, Hey, it's for the benefit of all the, the early days of the magnet were were interesting and a little bit different than it is now. And I remember in those early days, it was made up mostly of people who were just sort of like following Armando where he was going. Yeah, <laughs> because you had that feeling of like you're like touching his magic a little bit. I remember like years later, I was teaching a class and and I was like struggling with something, and I asked Armando for advice, and he like just like sat and he was like, <laughs> um. <laughs> let your wear give you a who that's all he said he's like of course i i just rambled for an hour to this class and i could have just boiled it down to that one but that's armando he has that like amazing yeah. ability to not load you up with too much to measure yourself up against you get a lot of feedback sometimes from coaches or teachers and, and you begin automatically measuring yourself up against this kind of standard that you're internalizing. And it becomes very hard to experience 
the freedom to make choices in the moment because you're not really making the choice that's being asked of you in this moment from this other person that you're playing with. You're making a choice based on previous instructions and based on the kind of performer that you want to be, you know? Yeah. And, and with Armando, it was always really exciting to have him as a teacher because he just sort of like created this empty space for you where you're not measuring yourself up against anything. You could kind of quiet down a little bit. You didn't have all this like noise in your head and just focus on what's happening with this other person. Another thing that he told me early on that I always loved is like, um, try to pay attention to what's important to the other person. Oh, that's good. It's so simple, but so great. And when you know what's important to them, then give them that. Of course. So simple. But there was just that beautiful feeling when you were around him of like, oh, you can quiet down a little bit. You know, I'm, I'm making choices based on the scene I'm in and not based on the scene I should be in. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a world of difference. Yeah. And it, and it goes back to that like key component of uh, improv, which I hear echoed by all my idols or all my favorite improvisers. It was just agreement. Yeah. You know, that word, such a perfect word that yeah. encapsulates like, I love that. I, I like to think of it as acceptance. Yeah. Well, they use the word agreement, but I know what you mean. Yeah. It's like, uh, I like it because it's the spirit of the thing, but sometimes I find agreement. It, it, there's something about it that makes you kind of feel like you have to be artificial. And you yeah. Have or to you have agreeable. to say the word. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And you don't really, it, it's just like this, like I like the word acceptance because to me it implies a sort of giving in rather than like I'm actively agreeing instead I'm sort of letting go and giving in to where we are right now. And, and in that sort of giving in, you kind of let go of this expectation of what it should be and instead you just begin to accept what it is right now and you go from this thing of of something better is waiting for us down the line to this thing of everything we need is in front of us right now and 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 if i can recognize what matters to you now i know what to do i just give that to you and you're doing the same thing for me and so something wonderful will happen and you don't have to worry about it too much you know but it really is it 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 And that's why I, you know, I'm, I, I love your focus on presence in your teaching, uh, um, because it does sort of like go back down to like these very basic, simple things, you know, that it, 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 you want to become more simple over time rather than more complicated over time. It's not about accumulating all these different skills and abilities. It's actually as you're like internalizing them and, and assimilating them into your behavior. It's about learning how to kind of let go of lots of different things and just yeah. sort of boil it down to like practicing agreement or practicing acceptance or, you know, however your person wants to think about it. And like really just like giving yourself over to this moment with this human being and trusting that like there's value here. Yeah. And uh, I do think that it, uh, it's like if you don't have that, then the other stuff is more difficult. Mm-hmm. But if you do have that, the other stuff, you just, you've already learned it. You've yeah. gone through the classes. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, I think that part, part, and I'm more guilty of this than uh, not guilty of it, but is that I think that the, when I do get caught up in my own head, it's because I'm thinking, oh, well, if we do discover something that I need to remember, I can't just give myself over to that moment because 
then I might not be able to heighten it and do right. a real funny thing that, you know, instead it's just like, trust that it, you do. You yeah. already know that yeah. you've done it so many times, you know, that you will, but you've got to have that, the, the, the truth there first. Totally. It, it Megan Gray has a, a analogy that I like a lot because here for all this talk that we're, we're giving about like the value of self-discovery and whatnot, there's also like, you know, the other side of it, which is you work on a team or you work in a group, you put up a show and you're creating this big complex thing out of nothing. And ultimately you end up telling the story that if it works is pretty amazing and involves just as much of writing on your feet and recognizing ideas that have value and using them as it does acting on your feet and being open and receptive. So you have to be able to do all of those things at once and to recognize when is the right moment to do the right kind of thing. Megan describes doing a show as, as um, sort of like quantum leap <laughs> that Love like it. at first you're just sort of like diving in and like you've leapt into this body and you've leapt into this world. And at first you don't know too much about yourself, but you can't act like you don't know too much about yourself because everybody else around you knows about you. So at first it's all acceptance of what other people are doing and saying and telling you, and you're starting to put together the clues of who you are and put together the clues of kind of why you're here. And then once you figure out why you're here, now it's not about putting clues together anymore in discovery. It's about, uh, um, follow through on my purpose. I have a reason that I'm here. Now I have to do that. I have to set this thing right or whatever it is. And so you kind of spend the early moments of a show putting it all together and accepting it all and kind of figuring out based on how everybody's treating you, what the hell's going on. But then once you have it figured out, now you switch gears and it's like, okay, I see the destination that I have to be arriving at. Uh So it's about the choices I'm making now as this character in this relationship to arrive at that place. I like that. Not just because I like Megan Gray, but I also like quantum leap and that's, and I feel like it's perfect marriage. Yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. I like that a lot. I'm I'm very lucky. I mean, one of the 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 things that I love about Magnet is that uh, I've been on quite a few improv teams over the course of uh, the last 15 years, and this the one Junior Varsity is like my favorite by far. Yeah. It's just being surrounded by very talented people is it makes you better, and it also it's nice because they've all been, had a lot of experience, but also. All along the way, I think that if you, I know it's true for me, you probably, if you ask them too, it's like we all had times where it was hard and certain breakthroughs and, yeah. and you just play with the people that you're, you're around, which is something you mentioned earlier. It's like, yeah, you'll, you can't just look at, at Horatio Sands and, uh, and, uh, you know, Tina Fey doing a scene and assume that that's what you're going to do next, next rehearsal. Yeah. It's like, just keep on doing it. And then you'll, you'll find your, your Tina Fey or your Horatio, you know, you'll, you'll find those people around you and, and you'll figure it out. It's, it's really fun. I mean, I, uh, I met Robin here, my, my wife at, uh, the magnet. Mm-hmm. So it's like, uh, I feel like if there ever was something to, uh, say that like, um, I did the right thing, mm-hmm. you know, or I've been following the right thing. Cause a lot of it is, you know, you hear the follow your fear or follow your foot, you know, follow the fun. Those are all, all things that, uh, that people say about improv. And, uh, and when you do it, you, you step and hope that there's a, a place to, you know, that there's a, a footpath once you put your foot out, but you know, uh, it's, it's a great leap. 
and uh, and parents, you know, I'm sure that people listening that are like, what what exactly you do in New York or something like that? Mm-hmm. I mean, my parents still think that. Uh, it's it's worth it. It's fun. You you meet people. The the community's there, and it's a great. Uh, it's inspiring. And it's a great challenge. And along the way, you can enjoy the whole journey. Now, granted, it's not in itself. Like if you're looking to make a whole bunch of money, it probably won't get you there. But but people that have gone through it, you know, use it and and make a lot of money. You know, elsewhere, they still are inspired by it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I've been privileged enough to get to work alongside a lot of those people. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, either the man across the table from me or other people here in uh, Magnet are not these, these big people and, uh, you know, and the, the big names that you, you read about because they're just so funny. They're so interesting. And so long as we know that, like, improv is there to inspire our real, you know, the, our other thing that we do, uh, it's it's the sky's the limit. I think that you like hit on, on it when you were saying about following that fear, because to follow the fear means that you're being courage and the courageous in the face of fear. You're, you're making choices out of courage and out of uncertainty rather than choices out of defensiveness and fear. And courage has a tendency to kind of empower a person it has a tendency to make you a little bit more at ease with yourself, but it also leads to unpredictable uh, connections and and it it leads you to places that you didn't expect to be. And in your case, you know, you materialized a real relationship out of following that you have a, a, a lovely, delightful wife and a fabulous marriage that entirely comes from having taken those steps and having been courageous. Yeah. I hope no one edits my, my scene with her. (laughs) Oh God, that's disgusting! <laughs> oh, what a, no, what a sickening, dirty. <laughs> what a sickening way for this podcast to end. Her name is Robin Rothman Taylor, and Sean is in love with her. And I don't want to put words into her mouth, but yes, she's in love with Sean too. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> Sean Taylor. Thank you for talking, my friend. Thank you, Liz. Where can people find out more information about uh, uh, ways to hook up, to do funny ball, to eat pizza with you, to sign up for your classes? Funnyball.org for funnyball. Thirty-one days of pizza.com for pizza and uh if you want to take classes go to the magnettheater.com and uh and it should be on the class list page awesome and the class is here now four weeks of presence you've been listening to the magnet podcast This podcast has been brought to you by the Magnet Training Center, where we teach classes in improvisation, sketch writing, musical improv, storytelling, and more. If you're interested in checking us out, we offer free weekly intro to improv classes. You heard that right, folks. Free weekly intro to improv classes. You can find out more about those free intro classes and all other classes we offer at magnettheater.com. Also, be sure to check out the Magnet Theater for top-notch comedy shows seven nights a week. All information regarding classes and shows can be found, once again, at magnettheater.com. The Magnet Theater Podcast is produced by Evan Ford Barden and engineered by Grant Michael Goldberg with executive producer Ed Herbstman. It's recorded at the Magnet Training Center in New York City.